Hi, I'm Christopher, and welcome to Mysteries at Midnight, your destination for timeless enigmas and captivating mystery stories, narrated in the soothing style of a bedtime story. This story was first published on the Sleep Cove podcast, where millions of listeners relax their bodies and calm their minds by listening to meditations, hypnosis and classic bedtime stories. We soon realised that listeners wanted to hear our mystery stories all in one place, so we present Mysteries at Midnight, where you will hear all new mystery stories every week. So here is a story that was first published on Sleep Cove. I hope you enjoy it, and please remember to subscribe. Hi, I've recorded the story of the Magi by O. Henry. It's a story of two lovers who are having a hard time exchanging Christmas gifts. I really hope you enjoy it. Please listen to this recording in a place where you can safely fall asleep if you were to. To have access to this recording ad-free and as a podcast, go to sleepcove.com support or patreon slash sleepcove and get more information on how to listen to my 200 meditations, hypnosis episodes and stories as a private feed podcast. The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry One dollar and eighty-seven cents That was all And sixty cents of it was in pennies Pennies saved one and two at a time By bulldozing the grocer and the vegetable man And the butcher until one's cheeks burned With silent imputation of parsimony That such close deaning implied Three times Della counted it, one dollar and eighty-seven cents, and the next day would be Christmas. There was clearly nothing left to do but flop down on the little shabby couch and howl. So Della did, which instigates the moral reflection that life is made up of sobs, sniffles and smiles, with sniffles predominating. While the mistress of the home is gradually subsiding from the first stage to the second, take a look at the home, a furnished flat of eight dollars per week. It did not exactly beg a description, but it certainly had that word of the lookout for the beggar squad. In the vestibule below was a letterbox into which no letter would go, and an electric button from which no mortal finger could coax a ring. Also appertaining thereunto was a card bearing the name Mr. James Dillingham Young. The letters that spelled out Dillingham on the letterbox had been flung to the breeze during a former period of prosperity, when its possessor was being paid $30 per week. Now, when the income was shrunk to $20, The letters of Dingingham looked blurred, as though they were thinking seriously of contracting to a modest and unassuming D. But whenever Mr. James Dingingham Young came home 
and reached his flat above, he was called Jim and greatly hugged by Mrs. James Dingingham Young, already introduced to you as Dana, which is all very good. Dana finished her cry and attended to her cheeks with the powder rag. She stood by the window and looked out dully at a grey cat walking a grey fence in a grey backyard. Tomorrow would be Christmas Day, and she only had $1.87, with which to buy Jim a present. She had been saving every penny she could for months, with this result. $20 a week doesn't go far. Expenses had been greater than she had calculated. They always are. Only $1.87 to buy a present for Jim, her Jim. Many a happy hour she had spent planning for something nice for him, something fine and rare and sterling, something just a little bit near to being worthy of the honour of being owned by Jim. There was a pier glass between the windows of the room. Perhaps you've seen a pier glass in an eight-dollar bat, A very thin and very agile person may be observing his reflection in a rapid sequence of longitudinal strips, obtain a fairly accurate conception of his looks. Della being slender had mastered the art. Suddenly she whirled from the window and stood before the glass. Her eyes were shining brilliantly and her face had lost its colour within twenty seconds. Rapidly, she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its full length. Now, there were two possessions of the James Dillingham Youngs, in which they both took a mighty pride. One was Jim's gold watch, that had been his father's and his grandfather's, and the other was Dada's hair. Had the Queen of Sheba lived in the flat opposite the air shaft, Della would have let her long hair out of the window some day just to dry it, just to depreciate Her Majesty's jewels and gifts. Had King Solomon been the janitor, with all his treasures piled up in the basement, Jim would have pulled out his watch every time he passed, just to see him pluck at his beard from envy. So now, Della's beautiful hair fell about her, rippling and shining like a cascade of brown waters. It reached below her knee and made itself almost a garment for her. And then she did it up again, nervously and quickly. Once she faltered for a minute and stood still, while a tear or two splashed on the worn red carpet. On went her old brown jacket, and on went her old brown hat, with a whirl of skirts, and with a brilliant sparkle still in her eyes, she cluttered out of the door and down the stairs to the street. Where she stopped, the sign read, Madame Sofrani, hair goods of all kinds, Della ran up the stairs and collected herself, panting. 
Madame, too large, too white, chitty, hardly looked like Sofrani. Will you buy my hair? asked Ella. I buy hair, said Madame. Take your hat off and let's have a sight at the looks of it. Down rippled the brown cascade of hair. Twenty dollars, said Madame, lifting the mass with a practiced hand. Give it to me quick, said Della. Oh, and the next two hours tripped by on rosy wings. Forget the hashed metaphor. She was ransacking the stores for Jim's present. She found it at last. It surely had been made for Jim and no one else. There was no other like it in any of the stores, and she had turned all of them inside out. It was a platinum fob chain and chased in design, properly proclaiming its value by substance alone and not by meretricious ornamentation, as all good things should be. It was even worthy of the watch. As soon as she saw it, she knew it must be Jim's. It was like him. Quietness and value. The description applied to both. Twenty-one dollars they took away from her, as she hurried home with seventy-eight cents. With that chain on his watch, Jim might be properly anxious about the time in any company. Grand as the watch was, he sometimes looked at it on the sly on account of the old leather strap that he used in place of a chain. When Della reached home, her intoxication gave way a little to prudence and reason. She got out her curling irons and lighted the gas and went to work repairing the ravages made by generosity added to love which is always a tremendous task dear friends a mammoth task within 40 minutes her head was covered with tiny close-lying curls that made her look wonderfully like a truant schoolboy she looked at her reflection in the mirror long carefully and critically If Jim doesn't kill me, she said to herself, before he takes a second look at me, he'll say I look like a Coney Island chorus girl. But what could I do, oh, what could I do with a dollar and eighty-seven cents? Jim was never late. Della doubled the fob chain in her hand and sat on the corner of the table near the door that he always entered. Then she heard his step on the stairway, down on the first flight, and she turned white for a moment. She had a habit of saying little silent prayers about the simplest everyday things, and now she whispered, Please God, make him think I am still pretty. The door opened, and Jim stepped in and closed it. He looked thin and very serious. Poor fellow, he was only twenty-two, and to be burdened with a family. He needed a new overcoat, 
and he was without gloves. Jim stepped inside the door, as immovable as a setter at the scent of quail. His eyes were fixed upon Della, and there was an expression in them that she could not read, and it terrified her. It was not anger, nor surprise, nor disapproval, nor horror, nor any of the sentiments that she had been prepared for. He simply stared at her fixedly with that peculiar expression on his face. Della wriggled off the table and went for him. Jim, darling, she cried, don't look at me that way. I had my hair cut off and sold it because I couldn't have lived through Christmas without giving you a present. It'll grow out again. You won't mind, will you? I just had to do it. My hair grows awfully fast. Say Merry Christmas, Jim, and let's be happy. You don't know what a nice, what a beautiful, nice gift I've got for you. You've cut off your hair, asked Jim, laboriously, as he had not arrived at the patent fact yet, even after the hardest mental labour. I cut it off and sold it, said Della. Don't you like me just as well, anyhow? I'm me without my hair, ain't I? Jim looked around the room curiously. You say your hair is gone, he said, with an air of almost idiocy. You needn't look for it, said Della. It's sold, I tell you, sold and gone too. It's Christmas Eve, boy. Be good to me, for it went for you. Maybe the hairs of my head were numbered, she went on with a sudden serious sweetness, but nobody could ever count my love for you. Shall I put the chops on Jim? Out of his trance, Jim seemed quickly to wake. He enfolded his Della. For ten seconds let us regard with discreet scrutiny some inconsequential object in the other direction. Eight dollars a week, or a million a year. What is the difference? A mathematician, or a wit, would give you the wrong answer. The Magi, known as the wise men, brought valuable gifts, but that was not among them. The dark assertion will be illuminated later on. Jim drew a package from his overcoat pocket and threw it upon the table. Don't make any mistake, Dell, he said. About me, I don't think there's anything in the way of a haircut or a shave or a shampoo that could make me like my girl any less. But if you'll unwrap the package, you may see why you had me going a while at first. White fingers and nimble tore at the string and paper, and then an ecstatic scream of joy, and then, alas, a quick feminine change to hysterical tears and wails, necessitating the immediate employment of all the comforting powers of the Lord of the Flat. For there lay the combs, the set of combs, 
side and back that Della had worshipped for long in Broadway window. Beautiful combs, pure tortoiseshell with jeweled rims, just the shade to wear in the beautiful vanished hair. They were expensive combs, she knew, and her heart had simply craved and yearned over them without the least hope of possession. She hugged them to her bosom, and at length she was able to look up with dim eyes and to smile and say, My hair grows so fast, Jim. And then Della leaped up like a little startled cat and cried, "Uh Uh-oh. Jim had not seen his beautiful present. She held it out to him eagerly upon her open palm. The dull, precious metal seemed to flash with the reflection of her bright and ardent spirit. Isn't it dandy, Jim? I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to look at the time a hundred times a day. Give me your watch, I want to see how it looks on it. Instead of obeying, Jim tumbled down on the couch and put his hands under the back of his head and smiled. Dell, said he, let's put our Christmas presents away and keep them a while. They're too nice to use just at present. I sold the watch to get the money to buy your combs. And now suppose you put the chops on. The Magi, as you know, were wise men. Wonderfully wise men who brought gifts to the babe in the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas presents. Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. And here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in a last word, To the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as they are wisest. Everywhere they are wisest. They are the Magi, the wise men.